there is a wealth of knowledge. And I don't think most people, like you said, realize what goes into grooming and how it's an entirely holistic thing as far as behavior. Like not only are you doing something aesthetic, but also your goal is to keep them healthy. It's to also check their body. We're usually the only ones seeing things on a routine enough basis to where we could notice if there's a change in a mole or, you know, they're acting different. But also we're training them in a sense as well with being A, okay with grooming, but B, handling, you know, being able to touch their paws and being able to look in their ears and their mouth. And that is, to me, invaluable for the clients too. So, so yeah, I say it's a lot more involved than most people think, but I think if you apply yourself and you have that artistic eye, you can be great. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 216 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. If you're a regular listener, you likely know about my signature program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. We call it A-OK for short. This is the program that I built off of my patented cartography system to help ADHD women figure out what they should do with their life. ADHD is completely misnamed. We know this, right? We don't have a deficit of attention. We have a surplus of attention. We're interested in so much, which often means that we struggle with trying to figure out which of the many interests that we do have is actually the one that we should pursue. With AOK, we start from the inside out and we figure out who you really are. What's important to you? What is it that you value? What are your strengths, passions, superpowers, and purpose? Which is really what you should build your life around, right? I mean, 
Who cares where you fit in? You're not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. And that's exactly what we do in AOK. We learn where and how to stand out. So AOK includes live office hours and coaching with me, a community, the AOK system, worksheets. You'll create your own AOK intelligence report, which you'll be able to refer to for the rest of your life. And the thing about AOK is it's a lot of fun. It is so much fun learning about ourselves, right? We've wondered for years why we do what we do, why we feel the way we feel. Well, I'm going to show you why in AOK. So one of our students said this about AOK. Thank you so much for helping me see my potential and gain more confidence in making decisions about how I want to live my life. After endless sessions with psychiatrists and psychologists throughout the years, no one, and she put that in big, bold caps, has ever come close to what this program has to offer. And just so you know, this quote is from Ava Katrin Segora Dotier, who is a medical doctor. So we're going to start on Tuesday, March 14th. We'll have our first office hours on Wednesday, March 15th, and our office hours are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We're going to try something different this year, and we're going to be going through our normal six-step AOK program, but we've added a two-week implementation period. So the program will actually run eight weeks. So if you sign up with the code SPRING2023, you'll get $100 off of your ADHD brain is A-OK until the program is full. You can find more information at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. And don't forget to use the code SPRING2023. I would love to have you join us. So now let's get on to our podcast. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. And so, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you today to Ellie Lynham. At age 35, Ellie finally found her dream profession, the art of dog grooming. After grooming her own shisu during the pandemic and posting a picture online, neighbors began reaching out to her, asking if they could pay her to groom their dogs. One thing led to another, and within a month of that first neighbor asking, Ellie knew there was a passion brewing and enrolled in grooming school. After completing levels one and two and becoming a certified pet groomer, Ellie opened her dog grooming business in March 2021 and has been grooming ever since. Her passion has only grown since that October 2020 post. She continues to study the art of grooming, traveling to conferences, and soaking up all the knowledge she can. Ellie, did I get all of that right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. And before we start, I just want to give a little bit of backstory. So I also have a Shih Tzu. People, I think, pronounce it Shih Tzu, and it's actually Shisu. <laughs> just so <laughs> if, if someone's saying, what is she saying? I also have a Shisu named Mo. And I just, I was telling Ellie, I just added an English cream doodle, golden doodle mix to the family in November. His name is Teddy, and my family bought him for my birthday. But of course, I digress. Anyway, during COVID, I thought I could teach myself how to groom Mo, and I made such a mess. It's really hard. So anyway, that led to me to, you know, 
scrolling Instagram, looking for all the cute dog grooming that I could find. And Ellie happened to reach out to me about the podcast. I think that's what it was. And so I went and looked at her Instagram profile and I just about lost it because she's so talented and she also has a little Shisu too. So of course I started asking for tips on how to help my Shisu reduce her anxiety when she goes to the groomer, because clearly I was not capable of doing it. And I'm really good at motor skill stuff. So I thought I could be, you know, good at it. But um, anyway, Ellie and I were talking about, you know, reducing anxiety and how she got into pet grooming. And one thing led to another. And I said, Ellie, I really want to have you on the podcast. This is to me an unusual profession where I live. It is so hard to find a good dog groomer. And I think that that in part is why my Shisu Mo has so much anxiety around going to the groomer. I think she's had a couple of bad groomers. We now have a really good one. But to find someone who really loves dogs and is really kind while they're grooming, and Mo can be a pain in the you-know-what, also has that aesthetic is really, really difficult. And as I was talking to Ellie, it dawned on me that oh my gosh, here we go with that ADHD hyperfocus. And when we find something that we're really interested in, we are so much better at it than anyone else is. So I've been going on and on, but Ellie, welcome again. And I'm just so glad that you do what you do. And we're going to talk about that more. But first, can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses? Sure. Um, I could start with, I only learned recently that I had ADHD and was recently diagnosed um, last year, actually. So as far as how I came to, I guess, prompt my doctor, my primary care physician on, do I have this? It was actually my husband who pointed it out to me, which I guess they say, you know, those who you live with, um, know you better than yourself sometimes. And I never personally considered ADHD as, um, something that I would, that I had because, you know, of the stereotypes of the hyperactive, typical, you know, young boy that's just, and I just never was bouncing off the walls or anything. Now I have my own hyperactivity where I stem and do stuff, but he just mentioned after seeing a few reels on social media and stuff. He says, this really sounds like you. So I looked into it. I actually, um, can I stop you? Sure. Can I stop you and ask you, did he tell you what were the things that he was seeing that he thought, Oh my gosh, that's Ellie. Um, it was mainly just, Hey, watch this reel. This, this girl, you know, she'll walk into her kitchen and she'll leave the cabinets open because she's doing 15 things when she went in to make coffee. And then the coffee sits and she forgets about it, you know? And he just saw so much of that in me, not only that, but the time blindness. I mean, that's a constant (laughs) um, thing when we have appointments and stuff, you know? So he like, what you're, you're the one who's always late and he's in the car waiting. Yes, absolutely. Oh my God. I, yeah, I resemble that. (laughs) (laughs) So once, once, uh, he mentioned that I, I did a deep dive and I actually found your podcast and I binge listened and felt so validated before I was even diagnosed officially. I was like, this is me and all these women are fantastic. And I'm just so glad to have 
you know, that understanding now. And then I went to the doctor and got officially diagnosed and I'm not taking any medication for it. I'm actually trying some lifestyle changes. Um, but I definitely, uh, sorry, can we stop? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I heard the car or something. And so it's like, whoop, there she goes. Um, okay. I'm curious your experience with your primary care physician and then did he or she refer you to, first of all, was he really open about it and said, you know, what are your symptoms? And then yes, let's refer you or tell me how that whole process went. Yes. And actually very open. She, um, she, of course she, (laughs) she, (laughs) I had written out a laundry list of symptoms. Good for you. I just said, I'm going to put these all out up front. And I think it was pretty obvious, but she did have me fill out a questionnaire. Um, She didn't refer me to a psychologist or anything, but she did have me fill out a questionnaire. We talked over all the symptoms. She really got a feel for how it is day to day and the struggles just with with the day to day. and, And she offered up medication. I said, I'd like to take this in first and kind of process what this it means and how I can maybe reframe, try to reframe my brain with, with tools before I try medication. And then if we would like to do medication, then I'm all for that. So that's where we're at in the process now. So did she seem to you like she really knew a lot about ADHD? Yeah, she seemed very understanding when I mentioned struggles with executive functioning. But I wouldn't say that she was uh, an expert by any means. Ah. Uh. Okay. I, I was thinking, well, maybe she really understood ADHD in women. Um, was she a young doctor or is she a young yes, doctor? Yes, she was a young okay. doctor and she did seem to be very understanding of how I had not been diagnosed through my life and how I was really struggling, especially once becoming a mother with a business and a house to manage. She really seemed empathetic to that and open ears. Ah, uh, So... One of the things you mentioned that I think is so important, and I'd like you to speak to it, is when there's even a little bit of anxiety, and I have yet to meet anyone with ADHD who hasn't doesn't have a little bit of it, any woman with ADHD right. who doesn't have at least a little bit of anxiety, but our working memory just goes out the window. And I mean, I all I do is live, breathe, sleep ADHD. Who said to me, well, what are your symptoms? I'd be like, uh, uh, right? So <laughs> I think it's so important to do what you did, which is write out a laundry list of your symptoms before you get into, you know, meet with your, uh, your doctor. So why did you decide to do that? I guess it is an intuitive adaptation just from living with ADHD, even not knowing it. I just know how I am when I'm put on the spot especially at a doctor's office, because to me, they're a little intimidating already. (laughs) And I also, not only do I write out what I want to say, I also have to write down what they tell me, because I can nod and acknowledge and say, yes, I understand all day long. But if I leave that office without having written down what they told me to do, it is gone. Yeah. With the wind. Absolutely. So you used it for both sides to make sure that, um, and I think this is, I mean, I always say this, I have to prepare. If I don't prepare and I just wing it, yes, there are times I'm absolutely brilliant, but there are a lot of times where I'm the absolute opposite and I can't even (laughs) remember why I'm there, right? Yes, I, I relate. 
so you used it for that, but then you also feel like, oh, I always need to come in with a pen and paper because otherwise I'm going to forget what they're telling me. Yes. Especially something like that, right? Which can be so overwhelming. And especially if you're anxious and you already, I, I feel like we already know when we go in, whether it's ADHD or not, we've usually done so much research. Exactly. The hyper-focus. Yeah. And so we're so anxious that, well, what if they tell me it's not ADHD? Then what? Mm-hmm. So, okay. And then the other thing you said is um, you decided not to try medication. You wanted to start with lifestyle changes. And I'm curious what that means. A lot of times for me, it takes understanding why I'm a huge psychology person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people with ADHD probably are because we innately know that our brains are wired differently and we really want to get to the root of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, definitely have delved deep into psychology. So I want to know, okay, if this is what my, we'll say obstacles are, what can I build in my life to um, work through those? So here's a great example. Now I know, and this is from, you know, multiple ADHD resources that I can follow on Instagram or listen to on podcasts like yours or just Google, but taking away any type of obstacles that may be in my way. So if I want my kids to eat healthy snacks, we all want that, including for ourselves too. Yeah. I will spend a little extra money at the store and get pre, pre-cut fruit or pre-washed greens and not have the obstacle of having to do that myself so that I know I'm prepared. So it's little workarounds like that that I have found since being diagnosed that I can conceptualize and then put into practical use. So once I found that out, I realized, oh, with grooming, I'm a perfectionist and I will get hyper fixated on scissoring this one leg to perfection if I'm not careful. I have a visual timer now in my grooming studio that will let me know. It'll alert me when it's up, but it also gives me a visual, a visualization of how much time I have to do that one leg. So you've got a visual timer. Are are you talking about a time timer or are you talking about a, um, an analog clock? It's an analog clock that you twist back and it colors the time as you twist. Yeah, so it's it's like the time timer concept, but in a big clock. I think I've seen that one. It's a, it's a little one on my um, toolbox. Uh-huh. I, I'm new to it. I did not know those existed until you know I got diagnosed. Exactly, because I think neurotypicals, which you know is a much bigger part of the population, they probably I know they can't understand that we can't even see time. We have no idea how long 15 minutes is. Most of us, some of us, you know, are really, really good with time, but most of us are not. One of my AOK students brought to um, one of our office hours this giant clock. And it's, you know, it's like a regular schoolhouse clock, but it's like, I think what you're talking about is the time timer, which, you know, shows you what time looks like when it's passing. When it passes, does it turn red or is the whole thing red and then it goes to to no red? Is that how it No, works? it just visually, so if I turn back 15 minutes on the timer, uh-huh. 15, uh, you know, one quarter of the clock is blue and the rest is white. Oh, it's and blue. then as it moves, more white shows and less blue. 
I wonder if Time Timer does a blue one. I'm just looking over at mine. Regardless, I'll put the link to the Time Timer. So if anybody's wondering, what, is, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Let me write that down in my, um, on my notes or I will forget. Yeah. Uh, show notes. Okay. So let's go back. We were talking about lifestyle changes and how did we get to, you started to, what you were saying is you started to learn about how your specific brain works. Well, how the ADHD brain works first, and then specifically how your ADHD brain works. And you've started to implement structures that work with, um, with your brain. And so that is kind of your first line of defense right now. Yes, absolutely. And has it made a big difference? I feel like it's made a difference, a noticeable difference. I still struggle, of course, but, you know, just having, say, the broom in the kitchen instead of in the laundry room exactly. makes a huge difference. Yeah. And it's yeah. not out of laziness. It's out of accessibility and, and limiting the task initiation time. Absolutely. So before you were diagnosed and before you thought, oh, or even had any idea that maybe I have ADHD. So going back to the cut fruit and the cut vegetables, you would have never bought them because you would have thought, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, what were you thinking? I was just thinking, I don't need to spend the extra money and I can just take it home and and do it. And then it would sit in the fridge and I wouldn't do it. I mean, and you'd waste it, right? And I'd waste it. And then that's actually more money that ends up being wasted. But I just thought I could do it all. I had that that mindset that, well, if other people can do it, I can do it. Why can't I chop up the vegetables, you know, every single day? And you, know, you don't want to see me in the kitchen, but, you know, you get, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Oh, you! I don't know. You have such a beautiful aesthetic around dogs. I, I, I can imagine maybe you don't like to, to be in the kitchen, but I suspect that everything that comes out of the kitchen is really beautiful. Not true? Not true, but <laughs> see, I wish I could, yeah. see, my husband's going to listen to this, so he would have called me out if I would have said that was true. Uh, that's me surmising again and being wrong. Um, so what it sounds like you're saying is you have now, once you got diagnosed, which is, I think, why it's so important to get diagnosed, you now give yourself permission to do things differently than you were doing it before. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Absolutely. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD? So thinking back even, you know, to childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... I definitely have always had the hyper focus to, so much to an extent that I did question, am I on the autistic spectrum somewhere? But mm-hmm. if we go back to childhood, I always did well in school without having to try much. And I was considered gifted. And I think that had a lot to do with not having to try much um, because mm-hmm. my my ADHD is not not being able to sit still. I still tap my foot and stuff, but I could sit still in the class and just daydream. And it didn't bother me because I was getting the the majority of the concept. And so I didn't really struggle in school. But then, you know, when it came to starting to read more of the 
fictional works and Shakespeare, stuff like that, I really struggled with reading comprehension because I just could not focus on that. So that all that hindsight, I'm like, oh, you know, and again, it goes back to kind of being intuitive with our own self. And I realized finally in high school, I started playing classical music when I read and that helped me focus a little bit more, but I still struggled. If I'm reading something that I'm not interested in, I have to reread a page three times. Yeah. And it dawned on me that sports, I played sports year round, that helped keep me focused and in a sort of routine. Once I got out of that routine of going to school every day and having the practice and and the consistency, but also the accountability when I got to college, oh my goodness, I did not want to go to class. I did not know what I was going to major in. I switched majors so many times and it just, I struggled. Um, I still completed it and I ended up getting a degree in recreation because I figured that was the most fun thing I could do. That's really interesting. So what is a degree in recreation? What do you do? So the, the, it's funny, the tagline is we work so you can play. And that's really what it is. I mean, I worked in a recreation center for my whole college. That's probably what got me to finally nail down a focus and then worked there two years um, professionally. And it's just managing a facility or, you know, you could do the fitness aspect. Like I was a personal trainer for a couple of years and went to grad school for a little bit with that. And, you know, I didn't finish grad school with that, but that's another thing was when I was really young in the wor- workforce, I would completely be all in in something and then burn out within, you know, a year. And I couldn't figure out why. And it was because I didn't have that passion that I do with grooming. So take us through the period from, let's say, you know, the first couple of years after college where it sounds like you're working in this, uh, I don't know, I just think of the, I can't remember what they used to call it, but when I went to college, the big gym that had everything, yeah. <laughs> that thing, what do you call that? A recreation <laughs> center? Yep. So you're working there. And after that, are you trying these different jobs? And you're just like one year and you're like, eh, and then another year and eh, is that kind of what's happening? Yes, it was it was really hard for me to do the daily grind because I felt so uninspired by the tedium of daily life. I, and and at one point I had gotten to a point in a in a job that it not only was it not a good fit professionally, but the environment was toxic. And I quit without having anything lined up and I never have done that. And I really did a soul search. This was probably 10 years ago and realized that I truly needed a creative outlet. And this is way before I knew anything about ADHD, but I realized that nothing was going to continue for any length of time unless it had an aspect of creativity. Okay. But you have not mentioned creativity thus far, have you? So I'm curious, was this something that, you know, a, a, what am I, a thread that went through your entire life, creativity, and we just haven't talked about it? Or was that the first time you realized that, oh my gosh, I'm actually really creative? A little bit of both. So, you know, when I was little, um, music has always been a huge part of my life as far as connecting with it, wanting to 
play it and all of that. But my focus was always on sports because they came easy to me and I was good at them and it kept me entertained for the most part, if you look at it that way. And so creativity kind of went to the wayside um, and, you know, things wouldn't pan out. Like in, in elementary school, my art teacher was um, interested, you know, talking to me about art club and I couldn't get a ride home from art club. So that didn't pan out. Or I was in choir in middle school and it just didn't pan out because I was too focused on basketball and, you mm. know, struggling with algebra. So like there were little bits and hints, but when I really focused on, okay, I only feel truly alive, I guess you could say for being cliche as it is when I am doing something that is letting me get what I'm feeling out, whether that be art, whether that be singing, whether that be taking in art. And when I realized that, of course, there were personality quizzes and stuff I did along the way to help me figure that out. Like I said, big into psychology, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of an all, it it was both. There was a thread and then it was kind of like an epiphany. So what were the creative pursuits that you had? Or that you started then, you know? So that is the same. I guess it was 10 years ago. It was 2013 when all of this happened. Right before I left that toxic environment, I started to learn guitar. So I got on YouTube and I just shredded my fingers to learn guitar because I wanted to be able to play any song I wanted anytime I wanted. So that really started it. And I started drawing at that same part. And it was probably, again, a coping mechanism with the toxic environment and the not knowing what direction and why I can't be like everybody else and do the daily grind. And once I realized, wow, these outlets are really actually cathartic for me um, is when I really held on to them more. And, you know, it's hard to find a job in a in a creative um, realm Mm. And I didn't have the executive functioning to require of myself the what it takes daily to form a business. Say I wanted to create art and sell it. I was just not there mentally to be able to manage myself in that aspect. And maybe I'm a late bloomer, but, you know, it took, I guess, dog grooming and seeing that not only did I feel like, hey, I maybe I could, you know, get good at this, but also I absolutely love dogs. So here's a, another little known fact is that actually back in 2013, I actually groomed my dog, the Shih Tzu, and my parents' dog. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to groom out of my garage? And then it just the idea fell flat right there. And it was literally 2020 pandemic and God placing this in my lap. Like you're going to, you're going to do it now because I had no groomer for my dog. You know, everybody's in the pandemic and then neighbors are reaching out because they don't have a groomer. And they're like, if you, if you have the stuff and it, it just worked out. And it's amazing to me that I found it with, it found me really after all that pursuing the art and even having that idea seed back in 2013 and not doing much with it, I think timing also had a lot to do with it, just learning about myself. 
So in 2013, you actually were grooming or you did groom your dog and your parents' dog and you did a really good job at it? I wouldn't say I did a good job. I would say more like a hack job. Oh, okay. So so maybe that was part of it, right? That you weren't forced to do it. And of course, we suck usually the first time we do something. And so you didn't really see your innate ability in it? Well, I knew at that point I was not cut out to work in a salon environment. I just would be way too overstimulated. Mm-hmm. And the only way it would work is if I did it on a solo type of way, which is what I'm doing now. But I didn't know back then the first step to getting it set up in my house. And it kind of just was an idea. You know, we Mm. have a lot of those. I would venture to say you do too. It's just, it's almost like what idea do you pay attention to? What thought do you pay attention to? It's just kind of in one ear and out the other. Like that would be awesome, but I just don't think I could swing it. Mm. But there absolutely was an inkling in 2013. You thought about it. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. So then what happened? Were you working during the pandemic? No, I had just had my son and had a four-year-old daughter and he was four months and our little Cammy needed um, grooming so badly. And I just said, I'm going to do it. And then Every weekend, I had a neighbor um, bring their dog to me, and I just would groom out of my our master bathroom. Oh my it, gosh, really? It's yes, it is. It's amazing how it started in our master bathroom, and my husband built this entire grooming salon that I have down here in our home. And this was before you were trained to groom, so you just sort of taught yourself. This was. Yes, every weekend. And then I was like, hey, this may be something. This may really be something. And then I took a distance learning course from Paragon Pet School and put in all the hours to, and luckily had all the dogs to be able to. (laughs) Because of COVID, right? Right, exactly. So I, I was able to get through it pretty quickly. And you know, when we're set on something, I mean, there's no stopping us. So I got done in about four months, three or four months, and opened my LLC as soon as it was over. That is just such a, it's such a great story. Thank you. Um, Because clearly there was this inkling back in 2013, but you didn't know what to do. And then you get thrown into 2000 in the middle of COVID and it's out of necessity, right? Exactly. And so Mm -hmm. then not only do you have your own necessity, but all your neighbors have theirs, right? Their dogs in the room too. And thankfully you had a Shiso, right? Because what nobody told me about, my husband's allergic, which is why we started looking for, you know, hypoallergenic dogs. Oh, okay. And no one told me those dogs need to be groomed like every six weeks. I literally pay more money for that damn dog than I pay (laughs) for my own hair. And it's so expensive because- I, why are there so few dog groomers? There is a shortage. It's kind of a, you know, it's just that supply and demand because of COVID, you know, everybody did go get dogs. And then mm. because of COVID, a lot of salons shut down during at least, you know, for a little bit and some may, ne- may never recovered. So there is an imbalance right now. And is that everywhere? Is that nationwide? Yes. Because literally 
Like, how is it possible? I mean, I tried to groom Mo, so I know why it's more expensive. But I go to a really good hairstylist, and mm-hmm. I can't under and. But it's because there's so few groomers in our area, and I don't live like in. I live outside of San Francisco. In San Francisco, I could understand that it would be super, super expensive because of rent, blah, blah. But I kind of mm-hmm. live in the country. <laughs> oh, okay. And, I cannot believe how expensive it is to get your dog groomed. And now I have a second, you know, hypoallergenic dog. And, yeah. and, and, you know, that's another thing. You know, I've had golden retrievers and I've had, I had a lab. We raised a, a lab for guide dogs for the blind. And labs, of course, you don't have to worry about them. I've had, I had a Doberman. Don't worry about them for grooming. I had a, right. um, what, did, what did they call the little, um, oh my God, the little bullies, um, Oh, a little bulldog? I had a bulldog. Don't have to worry about them. Nobody told me that there's certain breeds that literally, well, because they're hypoallergenic, they don't have fur, they have hair. And hair grows and it grows really fast. Exactly. Yeah. So I've even tried to, you know, just trim around the eyes, you know, when when Mo, the Shisu, when it gets too long. I've done that with Teddy too. I have these Japanese scissors that are curved. But it is so hard, especially if you have a dog, which I think most that won't just sit there, you know, that fight you the whole time. But it just seems like if you are a creative, that this is such a good career because it pays really well. And I think it pays really well. I don't know how long it actually takes to groom a dog and, you know, all that. But you've got short, quick projects, meaning one dog at a time, right? There's tons of positive emotion, unless you have a nippy client. Exactly. It's right. it's creative. It's like art. And you, you've got all these deadlines because you've got these clients set up. Yes. yes. And there's no real follow-up, right? Once you set everything up online, I'm assuming they can just come to you, schedule their appointment. And so right. there wouldn't be as much paperwork. Like, right. is this true? <laughs> yes. I mean- I do a little bit of administrative work because my operation is small. I'm sure there's other groomers that do that have a lot more paperwork than me. Now, tax time, you know, I don't like run for the hills for that, but my husband helps me with that, you know, but you hit the nail on the head with everything. There's also, I feel like there's probably more neurodivergent and ADHD specifically groomers than in other fields because not only everything you just listed off, I mean, you get a dopamine hit every time, you know, but you also, um, for the most part, we're very uh, empathic in a way of intuitive and, and animals are too. So we connect and can have that patience and that connection with the dog. Well, and we always talk about how important nature is for our brains and dogs are literally nature. Absolutely. Yes. But I'm curious about this. How many dogs actually nip? Like what percentage? You know, all my dogs are so good. There are groomers out there that specialize in, in more of the harder, um, more of the behavior issues. And they must be ADHD because, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I would say very few nip out of mine, you know, maybe, maybe five or 10%. And that's not nipping. That's just saying, Oh, I don't like that. You know, it's not, mm. it's not trying to cause a, um, right. Any type of mark. They communicate with their mouths. Oh, 
Yeah, because, well, I didn't realize it, it took a whole year before our groomer, not the groomer we have now, but our groomer, you know, I just got the sense that nobody liked my dog there. <laughs> and, then, and and she's a pain, like she can be a pain, but she's, she's anxious, right? She was a COVID dog, mm-hmm. wasn't socialized enough. And I think she's just anxious anyway, but she's such a little sweetheart. Yeah. Um, but the groomer told me a year later, oh yeah, she, she tried to nip me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you never told me about this. Yeah, that's something. It's a big deal. And I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) That's something I do try to be upfront with, you know, because I think it's really important for for pet parents to know and- Pet parents. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do you handle though, the the skittish ones, the ones that are moving all the time and are you able to calm them down? It does take a lot of internal work. And sometimes you just have to step away for a second and give you give you both a break. But small steps, you know, um, first, if they don't like these scissors near their head, you know, there's there's workarounds and grooming, first of all. But second, you want to get them to where they're okay with it, desensitize them. So you start with just your hand and then you start petting them with the scissors and then you start you know, after one pet, then you snip a little and then keep petting. And it just desensitizes them and shows them, I'm here. I mean, no harm. I'm on your team. You know, it may not be the most wonderful experience. You're not getting belly rubs and peanut butter right now, but we're going to get through it together. So how hard is it to learn how to groom? And I suspect that there is a component where you know, if you are a creative and this is your area of hyper-focus, that you would be so much better than those people that aren't. And I'm assuming that both kinds of people go into grooming. And the reason I say this is because I have seen so many hack jobs with my dog where we just kind of went from one groomer to another. And I couldn't believe that they had actually trained to do this because it was a worse job than I would have done. Or am I wrong? Is it like anybody can learn how to do this and do a really good job at it? I think it definitely takes a certain type of person that that has the patience, first of all, to work with a being, a living being that can't talk back. That takes, you know, a certain type of person, I think, truly. But also, there is a lot of skill involved. And one reason that we do, or at least I have built in my prices as a way to go to these conferences and these expos and continue to learn because there's always going to be trends. There's always going to be new ways of doing things, dog handling techniques. There is a wealth of knowledge. And I don't think most people, like you said, realize what goes into grooming and how it's an entirely holistic thing as far as behavior like not only are you doing something aesthetic, right? You're taking the dog and you're making them look cute. That's your goal. But also your goal is to keep them healthy. It's Mm. to also check their body. We're usually the only ones seeing things on a routine enough basis to where we could notice if there's a change in a mole or, you know, Mm -hmm. they're acting different. And that's another part of the care. But also we're training them in a sense as well with being a okay with grooming, but B handling, you know, being able to touch their paws and being able to look in their ears and their mouth. And that is 
to me invaluable for the clients too. So, so yeah, I say it's a lot more involved than most people think, but I think if you apply yourself and you have that artistic eye, you can be great. Do you find though that there are like, like even, you know, human hair, right? There are the masters and then there are people that aren't, aren't so great at it. Is it the same thing in dog grooming? I would, I would think it's even harder. It would be like having someone sit in your chair and you're doing their hair and they're, <laughs> and they're constantly moving and every once in a while they try to bite you, right? Yes, that, that is definitely a reality of grooming sometimes for sure, especially ones that don't come very often because mm. they're not, they don't see it as a part of life. They see it as a stressor. So um, I always say, everybody who's listening who has a dog, please get them on a routine schedule. Because <laughs> it does. It just takes away the stress for them. And um, they see it as part of life. But I digress. What was your question? <laughs> I can't remember. Um, <laughs> I think I asked, oh, is it, after all of that, I was just kind of trying to wrap up our thought. Is it like in the hair hairstylists? where there you've got the masters, right? That are just everybody now is, and I mean, again, it's who gets the publicity as well, but I'm thinking of my guy that does my hair. You know, he's, he's been everywhere. He, you know, has done the Oscars and the Emmys and, you know, now he's kind of slowed down in life. And so he's doing something not at that level, but he's so good. And then there's kind of like everybody else. And is that in dog grooming too, or I think um, what you put in is what you get out. And if you're willing to put in the work, and I'm talking work when other people are playing kind of thing, where it's just, you have to go all in. So yeah, I think there are masters. Absolutely. And I think there are people that are going to be more naturally gifted than mm-hmm. others. But I think that everybody can have a seat at the table if they try. Well, and I just think it's so interesting. I think you told me that there's even a Facebook group for neurodivergent groomers. Is that true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is fascinating to me. So do you also find that in this profession where you are making the time to, you know, go out and go to conferences and meet people, that you're meeting a lot of ADHD people. And so you're around your people and you've made a lot of friends that way too. I think so. Absolutely. There is a, there's a definite community of groomers and we're all very supportive of one another. And it does feel like you're in a sense coming home because you do intuitively understand that we're on like a similar wavelength with the way we process things and the way we see things. And I actually just recently started opening up and sharing that I am a groomer with ADHD because I want more people who are groomers to potentially find that out about themselves and get the help that I've gotten. That's wonderful. So I'm curious, Ellie, what's next for you? Are you just going to keep grooming or are you thinking of something more than that within that industry? In that industry, I am definitely, you know, nose to the grindstone as far as still going to the expos, still working as hard as ever. I hope every single day I put 110% in with every dog on my table and going to continue that and hopefully just increase with experience. And, you know, I have gotten some requests to do some in-person trainings with people. So that's, 
that's something that's a potential down the road. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking of. I, yeah, you'd be great. I mean, I just watch your Instagram. And so if you all are into dogs, you have to go to her Instagram. I mean, every single dog is just perfect. I'm, every time I go there, I'm like, why can't I have her? <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I tell you, there are many groomers that are much better than me, but I absolutely love what I do. I can tell. So how many dogs a day can you do? I don't do many. I do about three to four a day. That's it. That's a lot though. I like to take my time. I don't, I don't want to, if I feel rushed, it's not going to come out good and I'm just going to feel stressed. So I like to take my time and really treat the dog and the process as art, living art. So if there is a listener right now who's thinking, you know, I'm looking for a new career path and I don't know, this sounds so creative and I love dogs and blah, blah, blah. What would you say to them? I would say, get your feet wet first. Make sure that it's something that you can deal with. You know, if they potty on the table by accident or, you know, you have to clean out their little eye boogies and stuff, make sure to try it out first. How do you do that? I would say start with being a bather and you can go to the retail stores and start there. You could go to the smaller salons. You could find somebody who does it out of their home like me and and potentially mentor. I think mentoring is so crucially important, especially for these trades. That makes a lot of sense. So you make sure that the lifestyle and everything that's going on is something that's actually the most, most of it is appealing to you. Yes. Okay. Are you still playing the guitar? I do. I do. And so are you at the level now where you can play any song you want to play? I would say for the most part, yes. And oh my gosh. I love it. I do some songwriting too. I've played out a couple places and I hope to, now that my business is established and I have a set list of clients, I'm not taking any new clients at this point. I'm just very, they're all on a set schedule of six weeks or less. Now I can focus a little more on the um, creating songs and playing those. So it's the best of both worlds, really. It sounds wonderful. So do you still groom out of your home? I do. Yes. And where do you have it set up now? It can't be in your master bathroom, can it? <laughs> Not anymore, thankfully. Um, but I have a whole setup my husband built downstairs in our, it was a garage. We built a room and it is the most perfect setup that I could ask for. Tub, table, tools, everything in here. Well, it looks beautiful on your Thank on your you. Instagram. So where are you located? I know you're not taking on any new clients, but you never know. I'm outside of Nashville in a town called Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's actually a city. It's it's quite big. You're outside of Nashville. I don't yeah, know why I thought you were in Texas. I was just in Nashville <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Oh, what were you there for? Uh, I have a friend who, or we have friends who bought a house out there and we were just visiting. Oh, I've never important. been to Nashville. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It was just one day after I, it was the same thing every day, you know, <laughs> bars and, um, music, bars and music. Oh, and music really city. good food. Music city. Yes. Yeah. So we're, we are just far enough out there to 
not have to deal with the hustle bustle city. But um, like I said, we're pretty much a small city in ourselves. So we still deal with the traffic, but we love it in Tennessee and, you know, Nashville's not far. So we get to visit there a lot. How far is Nashville? About 40 minutes. Okay. I played out there. um, Well, now I know why you're really into the music. I don't know how you live anywhere near Nashville and aren't into music, right? Right. Yeah. It was, it was super fun. So Ellie, to wrap up, I always have to ask at least one question. Um, and I'm trying to pick which of the four I'm going to ask you that I always ask, what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? So I think that we're so individual that my key should be general enough, but it's very specific to me. I, For me, routine's the bane of my existence, but I also have finally accepted the fact that I need it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Having not only the routine built into my life, but I have to have time every single day carved out for rest. And it's basically think time. And if I can re- kind of renew my mind and either think on something, you know, research something that I've been thinking about or play guitar and kind of just separate from the daily grind. As long as that's built into my routine, I can do a routine. So when do you do that? Like, do you do that at the beginning of the day? Do you do it in the middle of the day or at the end of the day? Because you're also a mom, right? Well, that's the thing is I don't have a set time. And if I did, I probably wouldn't do it because the routine that I have built is stuff that is, uh, I would say, is non-negotiables, you know, getting up at a certain time so that my kids are at school and the babysitter by a certain time so that I can start my day at a certain time. But as far as my me time, it is whenever I feel like I can take it. And does your, does your body or your brain tell, well, okay, forget the brain. I think we have to, it's more the body, right? Does your body tell you when you need that? Like, how do you remember to do it in the hustle and bustle of everyday life? I guess I'll say it's not just like, I make sure to have it every single day. So it is built in and into a certain extent. So when I'm done grooming dogs, before I go get my kids for the day, I usually have a little bit of time that I can kind of renew, refresh. And my body definitely tells me and my mind definitely tells me. And usually I can tell which one I need more of. Either I need quiet time thinking or I need to get out a little energy by playing. Mm. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I think that's brilliant, brilliant advice. So Ellie, where can people find you if they want to know more, more about you? Well, they can find me. I'm usually on Instagram. So I have two Instagrams. One is the grooming and that's Ellie.scissorhands. And my name is Ellie with a Y, Ellie.scissorhands. <laughs> and I guess that comes to, not to digress too much, but to Edward Scissorhands, you know, he's definitely not neurotypical. So I guess that kind of came from, <laughs> <laughs> from that. But, and then my um, music one is Ellie, Ly- Ellie went West with a Y. Okay. Ellie say that again. The, the music my, one? Yes. My music one is Ellie Went West. Ellie Went West? 
Yes, it's based on a song from one of my favorite groups. Which is? My Morning Jacket. <laughs> That's the group name. I've never heard of them. Should I have heard of them? Or are they like everybody knows them in Nashville? They're indie, I wouldn't say, uh, um, but they're growing. I, I think you you could listen to a little bit and dig in. <laughs> I will. I just yeah. wrote them down. And awesome. so if there is someone out there who has a question for you related to grooming, could they reach out to you on Instagram in your DMs? Absolutely. Wonderful. Anytime. I love to chat. Oh, well, Ellie, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. This was super fun. I've had a blast, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Before I leave you, just a quick reminder, the doors for our spring, your ADHD brain is AOKR open. And if you want to save $100, use the code SPRING2023. You can go to tracyotsuka.com forward slash AOK for more information. Again, I would love to have you join us. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Ellie, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyotsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.